Happy New Year, everyone. This is the Firearm Trainers Podcast, Season 2, Episode 18, published on January 4th, 2022. I'm your host, Rob Beckman, and our topic today is diagnosing shooting problems. Our podcast is part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, brought to you by XS Sites, the best sites made in the USA. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at the FTA, the Firearms Trainers Association. Visit the website at ftaprotect.com to learn more about their instructor coverage they offer and their competitive pricing. Receive a special 10% off on your policy by using promo code FTP10 at checkout. This episode is brought to you by NA Tactical. As instructors, our students are always asking us what gear we use. I always tell them I use NA Tactical. Do you know that NA Tactical offers several designs, each with extreme comfort for all day carry? The Revenant and Professional holsters have a patented tuckable design, adjustable cant, and secure twist release. My personal favorite is the K01. It is an all kydex appendix holster that I can carry all day in comfort. All of N8's holsters come with a two-week try guarantee and a lifetime warranty even on the clip. Remember to check out their Flex Mag Carrier also. It has a three-layer comfort backer and will accommodate several sizes of the magazines. Shop at n8tactical.com to find your next holster. That's the letter N, the number eight, tactical.com. We bring this podcast support in the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Today, we're joined by Brian Hill from The Complete Combatant. Welcome, Brian. Thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure to be here and an honor. Thanks for having me. Um, well, your name's come up several times by our guests about people that they would recommend instructors go out and train with. So I thought it was really great to go along and get you to come on the podcast because one of the things that I've seen or I've heard about you is that you're great at diagnosing shooting mistakes and really being able to get down to those uh, nitty gritty little things that can really improve somebody in a short amount of time. But before we get into those, can you give a little bit of background for those people who don't know who Brian Hill is from Complete Combatants? <laughs> I am an oddity in this world. Uh, I came out of a martial arts background, which is germane to our conversation tonight because I've been in the private sector teaching for roughly 100,000 hours. Uh, I started when I was 18. I'm 56 now. And it's been a full-time 12-hour-day job most of my life. So it's allowed me to develop some unique coaching skills. Uh, I went to the Olympic Training Center for coaching. I've been to four sciences and analyst. I worked in law enforcement. I've had a lot of extra jobs because, frankly, martial arts instruction never paid very well in itself. Uh, so you always have a secondary job. I got the privilege of working two jobs in that. And it gave me a lot of diversity in this. I feel like I'm a generalist in the world of specificity. And what I see in teaching, especially in firearms, is that we're still at the point where martial arts was in the 70s and 80s, uh, before the UFC came along and changed our methodology. And uh, my goal is to help people move into the modern coaching methodologies that will help shooters not only correct their problems immediately, but progress at a much greater rate than something like a 10,000 hours of practice or a, a ridiculous amount of institutionalized refabrication of knowledge. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our listeners out there, I know uh, they've gone through a lot of training classes, mm -hmm. different things, but I know in my own background, there's been almost no class that I've gone to specifically on how to diagnose shooting mistakes. And mm -hmm. yes, I've had some good teachers that are instructors that I've studied under that have shown me ways of doing things. But I think uh, today, if we can do a, do a dive into, you know, exactly, you know, how can we go along and 
and uh, speed up the process of learning because going along and investing 10,000 hours or 100,000 hours like you have over, over uh, a, a long life, uh, that's a pretty big investment for it. And I think most instructors would like to be able to go along and uh, be, able, be able to say they've helped their students in um, you know an eight-hour class to improve a little bit. And when they come back, they can improve a little bit more. Well, can you go along and... You've, you've, you've already talked about that you use the martial arts as kind of a basis for it. But what does that mean when you are talking about shooting? Because obviously shooting and martial arts isn't exactly the same, but they're still dealing with that human element of it. You know, and that's what's really different is the the viewpoint of there's a difference in, in coaching methodologies. But the same thing is always constant in our fight. And that's us. How human beings work. And any coach has to address the triad that's technical, psychological, and physiological. How does the body work? How does the mind work? And what are the particular skills that you need to? Uh, since I was teaching a very complicated style of martial arts, it's mixed martial arts, uh, I had to develop a style for each person. So I had to engage what I like to call in predictive diagnostics. Uh, I simply watched people and interacted with people from the moment I met them predicting what problems I would face in teaching them. Uh, and those things come about very specifically through your stance and your posture, the way that you engage in conversation or, or share information with me, right? Uh, how conservative or liberal you in, are in the intake of information has nothing to do with politics uh, and how willing you are to change. Uh, those are the things that I look for because those are incredible predictors of success or failure. And as self-defense, you know, primarily my job is, is to teach the armed citizen. Uh, we engage in talking about how to recognize bad guys, how to predict attacks through pre-assault indicators. But as instructors, we don't do the same thing to our students. We don't look at our students and apply the same indicators to them. Are they comfortable? Are they uncomfortable? Do they have good posture? Are they interacting with other people? Do they make eye contact or do they look away from you? Um, are they willing to speak to you? Do they feel comfortable in their environment? All these things have to come into play before you can transfer knowledge or skill to another person. So it always starts in a predictive methodology. And that's what I learned to do in martial arts because, I mean, frankly, teaching Unarmed combat is much harder than teaching shooting in a lot of ways. The difference with shooting is the time compression is very similar to striking. So we have, uh, you know, quarter seconds, 0.2 seconds of where we can do activities. So the time compression is similar, but the activities are slightly different, but the body works the same. We all have 625 muscles. We have 206 bones. They're all working exactly the same way. Uh, maybe your parents didn't tell you the truth. Maybe you're not special and maybe we all move exactly the same way. <laughs> so it allows us to teach people in this methodology very quickly. And I, I find the hardest thing to teach people in is decisional skills. And we'll talk about that as we go along. That's probably the biggest uh, improvement that an instructor can make in somebody. Mm -hmm. yeah, most definitely, being able, you know, the mind, um, exercising that and be able to identify what what's going on is definitely uh, something that is uh, very worthwhile to, to practice well before you ever need to engage it for sure. You know, when I, when I say decisional skills too, just to, to uh, go into that little difference uh, is most shooters tend to be either impatient or indecisive. That's why they make mistakes. It's not because they press the trigger wrong. It's not because they grip the gun wrong, although it may be a part of it, but if they tend to be impatient, they feel like they have too little time, then they hurry. 
and make a mistake. So uh, I don't get that from you. I think you're much like me. You're probably more precise in your methodology. So we tend to be indecisive and we tend to over-aim, over-confirm and wait too long. So we never have enough information. So when I'm talking about a decisional model, it's not just for the bad guy, but it's for the student themselves and how they make decisions because those decisions manifest as a pressure. And that's where the bad habits come from. So if we can preempt the decision, then we don't have to change the technical methodology. Mm-hmm. That's, that's uh, definitely a different way of uh, looking looking at how people uh, do things. What are some of the approaches or advice that you give students when you're seeing these different kinds of being there being um, uh, indecisive or uh, about doing things? Are there specific things that you're suggesting to them to do in order to become more precise or or less uh, reluctant and engaging in situation depending upon what they're what they're up up against? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. Uh, You know, the big thing is the self-examination that the student must engage in. Uh, when I become a coach, I become your advocate. Uh, I become an advocate for your success. And what I'm there is to merely observe you along with you observing yourself. Uh, part of the problem in learning is people get stuck in their frontal cortex, which is the critic. And the critic primarily needs to be shut off in shooting. Uh, the, the frontal cortex is not involved in shooting, but it's good at telling time and critiquing us and doing things like that. But if we're going to shoot well, we have to shut that off and we have to go to observer mode. Uh, so if I'm going to make a difference in a decisional skill, I have a person observe themselves. And the first question I ask them is, what did they see when they make a poor decision? Because it will give me either they were present or they weren't. Because some people make decisions and they're simply not present. So we've all seen a person draw a gun and shoot. And if you ask them what they saw, they say, well, I saw nothing. And that's a great place to start because we know we're working on a physical cadence then instead of a visual context. So we're always going to use the Socratic method of questioning the person to bring awareness to what their decisional skills is. Once they tell me, say that they're impatient by nature, speed shooters are much easier to change than uh, accuracy shooters by nature because they take in information quicker. And all we have to do is get them to see a little bit more. So I'll open up their vision by telling them to watch the brass extract from the gun or to see two targets beside them, depending on how their eyes are focusing. For some of them, they have a problem with saccades, which means their eyes are glancing around the target. Therefore, they don't see the sights like they should. So we'll quiet their eye with Joan Vickers' theory and put it on the center of the target and allow the mind to settle so it can begin to observe itself. Once they observe this decisional process, and it's much like the Pareto principle, you know, there's 40% on the front slope of too soon, there's 20% good decision, and there's 40% too late. As soon as we start learning what good enough is, that's what instructors have to verify. What is good enough? And oftentimes we're, um, you know, we don't clearly identify a goal, which means that our students will not be good enough. So if I say hit a target's this big, but then I say, well, it's not in the center, what I've done is change what I said. And what we always want to do is get them to good enough. And what is a good enough decision for the results? Because there'll never be a perfect decision because we're human beings. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I, I like um, what uh, Scott Jelinski, when I was talking to him about, uh, you know, when you go a person target, you know, and they mm-hmm. break a line. Yeah. Uh, they broke a line. They hit the target, you know, they did. And, and, and the story, you know, you don't have to go along and say, well, wait a minute. You know, you should be inside the line mm-hmm. because whatever target they're shooting at in a defensive context, if you'd break a line, 
that that's that's good enough and that's where we need to go along and be honest with ourselves as well as uh honest with the students so that we don't discourage them inadvertently by going along and making them you know think okay i got the box but i got a four inch, inch box but i really gotta hit that two inch center so i stay away from those outside lines which you know right there you can you can see how crazy it would sound going along and uh you know trying to cut the cut the distance in half that you're actually aiming at for no other reason than just to look look good or look cool but that would take takes more time which means you get more indecisiveness and you know that can be bad in a defensive situation for it yeah uh, we have you have to show them it's possible and then we have to help them practice enough so it becomes probable so once again we're on the positive side of this of observing and confirming what was correct that was good enough and then when we make a correction it's unemotional because we don't want to store it in the amygdala which makes it fight or flight and that way we constantly are working towards a positive outcome of I, you did what I asked. So therefore you've done well. And you know, if you've taken Scott's class, it's hard for instructors to let go of that. We always feel like we need to be the critic, but that's not necessarily true. We need to be the observer. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of uh, benefits for instructors to taking uh, training, um, not only to improve themselves, but also go along. And as I tell the instructors, I train to know what it feels like to be a student again, to be able mm-hmm. to go along and okay, am I doing it at the way I, way I'm being told to do not that I'm the fastest or not that I'm the most accurate, but if the instructor, if I'm doing what the instructor's telling me to do, then that should, that should be good enough for it. Yeah. We mm-hmm. all always like to be the most accurate, always like to be the fastest, but the instructors there are trying to teach us a specific principle. And that's what we want to take away as students from a class. Mm-hmm. And that's always good too, because sometimes you know, if you've got an instructor who's only been teaching for five years, you know, without taking classes themselves, I'll bet you they, they probably got some rough edges that they've never even realized they've got because they haven't mm-hmm. been on the other side of the, of the firing line to be able to go along. And say, oh, you know, I should, I should, I need to watch what I, what I say about this, or I need to approach it from a little different angle because let's put it this way. We're not all, uh, you know, copies of one another and you've got people that are young and old, you know, uh, mm-hmm. male, female, you know, all, all different kinds of things that we've really got to be able to identify in your, and uh, what, in, in your words, what that person needs, and then give them what they need to be successful with, because the 72 year old grandma probably is going to need something different than the 22 year old, um, you know, college, uh, student. And, you know, that's, that's where a good, a good and successful instructor will be able to meet those uh, students where they are and help them to achieve the most that they can for the 72 year old grandmother be as fast as 22 year old, probably not just because of the physics, but at the same time, will the 22 year old make the, as good as decisions as a 72 year old? Maybe, maybe not, but that's where the instructor really needs to be able to fine tune and meet them where they're at. What's, what's your approach, Brian, when, when you see students coming with, um, multiple um challenges all at the same time do you try to correct all of them at at the same time or how do how do you go along and decide which ones that you should uh focus on first rather than uh last well the first thing i have to remove is my hubris uh i have to get my pride out of it (laughs) right because that's Mm -hmm. what instructors want to do if i set a clear goal i need to give immediate feedback on one issue Uh, human beings are able to correct one thing at a time And the problem is we jump and we feel like we need to cover everything at once. Uh, If you have children and you give them three directions at once, what you can expect is nothing. If you tell them to clean the room, take the garbage out and go feed the dog, 
They'll feed the garbage, make their bed and throw the dog outside because we haven't outgrown that. It's not that we're any different. We need one clear goal. If you have a good leader in your life, what they do is they set a good goal for you and they say, here's where we're going and how we're going to get it. And every time you do something, you get feedback on it. That's correct. That needs a little work. That's correct. That needs a little work. And our goal as an instructor is, is not for the student to meet us. It's for us to meet them on their own terms. So what I always try to do is find something that the student is competent in. There's something in their life they're very good at. Uh, I always make this speech in class. I hate false humility. I come out of a fighting background. Don't tell me you're not good at something when you are, because I already know how good you are. I see the way you walk. I see the way you move. I see the way you think. This false humility that I'm not very good at something leads to indecisiveness in the long run. So when I get somebody in class, I find out what they're good for. How do they do something in their life? Are they a craftsman? Are they a teacher? All right. Are they a medical professional? And then whatever lesson I give, I hang it off that hook because they already have an experience in it. They know how to make better decisions that way. And then we become a team instead of me telling them or them submitting to what I'm saying. And I think that's what makes the biggest difference. So I pick one thing to stick with. And until I see success in that, and I take it not only from possible to probable, I won't move on to the next thing, but I will rephrase it constantly in the context of the class because we all have a curriculum to teach, right? You know, we got to teach multiple things, but I'll re whatever is the biggest benefit is the best thing that I can teach in class. And, you know, it's funny, most people don't have more than one or two real bad habits. They may be a combination bad habit. And as an instructor, what you have to figure out is out of the combination, which one matters more? You know, mm -hmm. is it poor grip? Do you not grip the pistol well? Well, that's really easy to figure out. Do you not know how to aim? That's easy to figure out too. Or do you just feel under tremendous pressure to do what you're doing? So I stay with one thing until I get a result. And uh, that always gives the student a chance to feel patience from the instructor and then learn to be patient with themselves so that they can learn at a higher level. Mm -hmm. Question for you, Brian. Um, how many training sessions or so do you, do you have students come back to normally? I mean, it, so it sounds like you've had yeah. many that have been not just through one class, but probably, you know, half dozen more classes coming back and, you know, making those small, small steps, in, you know, to where they really feel competent in what they're doing. That's a good question. Nobody's asked me that one before, but I get a, I, you know, it's good. It's something that you really thought, see, I'm doing coaching to you now, aren't I? <laughs> but that's a good question. And I get a high level of retention from people. Number one, because I've taught as a martial arts instructor. So I expect this to have a lifelong relationship with a student. Uh, even though I'm a national traveling instructor right now, and I get to teach a weekend, um, I expect to see them again over and over because that's the nature of this business. Uh, you know, Tom Givens is surmised there's only 5,000 or Carl Wren surmised there's only 5,000 people training in America most of the time. So every time I go to class, I know somebody. So I know that they're going to be a lifelong association, but I only have five minutes of the first part of the introduction to get to them, to really make a contact with them, to understand them, to value them, to know that they're going to be a part of it. And then I do nothing that's not for their benefit. Now, that doesn't mean I'm really nice because I say horrible things to people, but uh, I have a reputation as being a wordsmith. So I can say horrible things and it doesn't sound nearly as bad as it is. But I always tell people the truth and people would value honesty and respect from you more than they would your cool resume or how long you've been doing it. 
And if they know that I'm always advocating for their success and nothing else, and I have high expectations, I get a huge return. Uh, this weekend, I taught two classes and I knew 80% of the people in there. And I'll tell you what, I made sure that every one of them was incredibly important to me because they are. I enjoy working with people. I enjoy spending time. Um, and as coaches, we always say, we like to see the light bulb turn on, but it's really not that for me. That's a cool moment. But I was promised in the 70s that I'd be a space explorer. You know, that's what <laughs> science fiction promised me. Well, that never happened. We quit. So now I get to explore the human mind, which is really the last frontier. Uh, we're doing phenomenal work now with MRIs. We're mapping how the mind works. We're mapping the decisional process. We have the ancient philosophies of warriors that have gone before us. Uh, we have deep philosophy. So the last exploring is the human mind. So every person to me comes to me as a, a unique, unexplored, vast frontier of potential. Mm -hmm. And the one thing with the human mind also that I find amazing is uh, doctors say that we're only using about 10% of the capacity. I mean, which is yeah. really amazing when you, when you think about it on the, on the other side of it, from a medical standpoint, that's why the brain some, at times can withstand a lot of injury and the person still, you know, be able to have a full functioning life. And, uh, mm -hmm. one, one of those very interesting organs or parts of the human body that, um, is just like, wow, there's, uh, there's, there's more there than, than, uh, than we know about to say the least. So it's really neat. Here's an interesting side to that. In order to shoot well, you only need 10% of your brain. The problem is we use too much during shooting. Mm -hmm. It's a very simple activity. We've been hunters our whole existence as human beings. That's why our eyes are in the front. And what really gets in the way of people shooting is they think too much instead of too little. And if we can turn that off and get into a state where we get that immediate results and be fully present, and that's what fully present means, we're turning off the frontal cortex. We call it hypotransient frontality, where you turn off the front of your brain and you allow yourself, your intuition, which is really good at recognizing patterns, to do what it's really good at. And that's what high-level athletes do. That's, that's one thing that's really um, interesting when you look at firearms and the number of people... Um, I'll just say, you know, say like Dave Spaulding, who um, sports physiology, you know, he he comes from that background as well as law enforcement and everything. And, you you know, you did some work at the Olympic uh, uh, training and you you really realize to operate on that kind of high level to where you're where you've got to be able to make split uh, second decisions about where you're going to throw a ball or swing a bat or where you're going to dive to whatever the sport is. It's very similar in the decisions that we have to make as defensive uh, armed citizens to be able to say, okay, is that a threat? And what do I need to do in order to address that threat? You know, sometimes it's get, you know, skedaddle, get out of there. Other times it's, you know, using OC spray or, or, you know, potentially, you know, going to firearms, but we've got to go along and make those decisions, not, you know, in a methodical process to where we're going to be reading a book and taking our time. It's one of those where we got, we got a half a second to make all those decisions. And that's uh, one of them. Again, I think wonders of the human mind that once you learn it, and once you've really, you know, thought through the process, you can make those decisions in you know, split seconds, you know, instead of, in instead of seconds on doing things. Yeah. I'm definitely going to be going back over this and writing down some of those uh, terms again, because yeah. those are uh, terms that I have not <laughs> heard before. And uh, I like looking up uh, those kind of terms. Mm -hmm. And again, uh, it's great to pass on to students also, because from mm -hmm. a student perspective, you want to 
you want to be marketing to them so they come back. Um, that's just so you can uh, you can charge them, but also because you get become vested in their uh, experience. Because if you take somebody who was afraid of shooting in the first class, and after the tenth class, they're a very accurate and very competent um, shooter. You feel success just like they feel success with it, and that's that's a special thing you know that instructors can have. If they come and they all they do is take one class from you, so they can get their uh, state uh, license, you, you've, you've lost a, a benefit there to where you could have been coaching them for a, for a longer time and making a bigger impact on their lives overall uh, for it. And those are those are all things. Uh, as you were talking about engaging with them and, and coming up with personalized plans, that's uh, that's one of those things. I wouldn't necessarily call it a marketing plan, but it's a life. It's how do I want to say it? it's lifeblood to your business plan. How's that? Because those yeah. people come back, they will uh, take classes. They will be they will you are investing time in them and you know making them feel valuable. And in return, they're going to go along and try to do the best they can do to return what you've given them, which makes it a very uh, symbiotic relationship because they come, they know you, you know them, you're interested in them, and they're interested in, in doing what you're coaching them to do, which uh, being competent instructors, they should they should be getting very good information that may, may save their life or their family at some point down the line. And the other side, too, is self-defense instructors, personal protection instructors, we often get students after they've had a problem. So they've already had a problem that scared them to death. They've already been robbed. They've already been carjacked. Uh, they've been in a domestic abuse position. So they've come to us now for post-traumatic growth, which is a different thing. They want themselves to be empowered, to be able to handle this situation if it ever rises again. So we have a grave responsibility, not only to protect them in the future, but help them to overcome some of those past hurdles. And there's no instructor in the world that hasn't sat with somebody that has been emotionally overwrought in their class because something went on. And we have to recognize that uh, while we're not counselors, we are advocates for them regaining their own freedom and their own personal protection, because that's really what it means in the long run. And if you recognize that, you can start recognizing the signals early and help people uh, regain their freedom to feel and me, independent and meet them where they're at, you know, as, yep. as you said, you know, which is a, a very important concept for people to realize, mm -hmm. I mean, it'd be great for be able to go along and say, everybody grip it this way. Everybody do it this way. But in civilian training, we've really got to be able to look at, you know, like I said, we've got 22 year old college student that is very physically fit versus the 72 mm -hmm. year old grand grandmother or, or elderly person who is may not have the physical strength to it, but may have the mental ability to be able mm -hmm. to go along and do things quicker because they've got more life experiences. And what you're trying yeah. to do in both of them is meet them where they're at and really, um, really help that help, uh, you know, them be the best they can. But it becomes principle over personality, you know. Mm -hmm. Very, very cool. Um, quick question: Do you teach uh, classes like this uh, standalone from the coaching? Uh, yeah, from the uh, diagnostic. Because uh, a lot of this yeah. information is very, very neat. Very mm -hmm. neat. So uh, there's been a big uh, push from some of my really good friends to teach a coaching class. Uh, what happens in the firearm industry is most people teach a curriculum-based class for instructors to certify them. And there's nothing wrong with that. We did it in martial arts too. Um, you know, here's how we do things. Once you know how to do things, then you can coach this. 
But what I think is missing is this part of it, mm -hmm. uh, is the actual coaching. Um, we may use firearms as the venue, but coaching is coaching. And um, I'm going to be offering a class starting next year, and it's called Deliberate Coaching, modeled after the idea of deliberate practice. Uh, I think that made sense to me. And what I'm going to help people do is everybody has at least one client, which is themselves. And if you can't coach yourself, you probably can't coach other people as well as you want to. So we're going to be doing a deliberate coaching session. Uh, it's a three-day class. It's going to be a long class, but it's going to cover all these things um, from the psychological, physiological, and technical skills. And uh, I'm real excited to do that. And as soon as I started to write the curriculum, it was like my magnum opus. It just started flowing out of me, which means I found the thing I'm supposed to do. And also, I think there's a vacuum. There's a space. So when we talk about marketing, you have to find the space that's not being filled by anybody else. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I do teach red dots and I teach carbines, but there's tremendously great instructors out there teaching that also. But is there anybody teaching people how to coach people? See, I didn't see any, any place for that. And it's funny in martial arts, we have a longer tradition of that. Um, so I think it really transfers well. And I think this is something that every instructor, whatever his organization would benefit from in the long run, he'll be a better shooter by the end of it too. I guarantee that. I want to check your website out, uh, after this yeah. and, uh, see if I can work into my schedule. Cause that would be, that, that sounds like a very, uh, neat thing to do mm -hmm. um ranks right up there with uh, mike seeklander when he came on and uh what he what he does also because you know there's a lot a lot of places to teach you how to press the trigger and you know red dots and and you know speed shooting but when you from an instructor standpoint be able to connect those all those little neurons in the brain and make them fire quicker make them fire more efficiently um that's much more of a mystery and it transcends firearms, you know, because in our daily life, you know, whether we're driving or whether we're shooting, our neurons got to fire in order for things to be done. And we've probably have seen some people that are very highly competent drivers, and we've probably seen some uh, highly incompetent shooters from time to time. And the difference there is, you know, how, how their neurons are wired. And yes, put that class together, because that, that sounds like a very, very cool thing to to go to and i'm sure yeah. uh i'll try to make it as well as probably some of the listeners here to uh fill it up you may be uh you may be traveling putting that on different places too brian with weights i would love to yeah i think <laughs> the first one's in florida and i got another one scheduled already so uh, i really hope to do it you know mike's a brilliant guy but he's also a martial artist it's interesting this pattern that we see scott jelinski a martial artist you know there's a pattern in this repetition because we get to teach people every night and firearms instructors only get a weekend. So it's really hard to amass structure uh, in teaching, you know, and uh, you don't get the experience level that at the same thing. And of course, Mike's a fantastic shooter uh, on top of that, but he's a thinker, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, I've heard nothing but good things about his classes. Uh, unfortunately, he, he likes to compete, which keeps him from teaching as much as I'd want to be able to get into his class, you know. So I would be honored to have you guys, any, any of you want to show up and I, I think it'll be a valuable session. Uh, you guys will, it will be a changing session for you because uh, we'll, we'll do some things that you've never really thought about before. Yeah, I, I would actually say my career in teaching uh, 12 years now, the first yeah. five, six years, um, you know, I was doing a lot of searching you know, finding, you know, how to do things, how to, you know, be better. And then the mm -hmm. last five years, it's been uh, much more uh, deliberate 
and being able to go mm-hmm. along, teach the topics yeah. and what I want to get trained in, uh, those types of things, because I want to want to be the best instructor I can be. But then also to mm-hmm. polish up on those points that aren't necessarily firearm related. It's marketing. Mm-hmm. It's going along. And, you know, how do you coach somebody? You know, what do you do with the yep. person who has gone through tra- some traumatic, you know, family events or uh, different things along those lines to where you've really got to get up and over that so they can feel empowered again. So good stuff. Very good stuff, you know, Brian. And you lead me into the, the next one is instructors have to be really good at controlling arousal level. Uh, that's what we really do. It's a, you know, it's a psychological term. It sounds kind of funny when you hear it, but you have to keep somebody 4% above their comfort level to learn. And if you go beyond that, they don't learn anymore. So the really good instructors learn to manage people emotionally and they have very high EQs over IQs. And in the technical skill, doesn't matter nearly as much as your ability to help people bridge the emotional gaps in their training, because that's where they make decisions. They're unconsciously competent in those decisions and they're emotionally based and your technical, logistical, logical manner will never bridge that. So you got to be good at EQ too, you know, so set clear goals, immediate feedback, and then manage the, the environment of arousal. Yep. That's, that's a very, uh, very good point too. And, uh, I, I got a few examples where I really had to work with somebody from on an EQ uh, standpoint in order to get them to, uh, pass qualifications and such and it's uh it's not an easy easy thing to do because you've really got to kind of get in their head to really you know get them to do what they can do uh with Mm -hmm. it and uh that that can be very difficult but you have to have a high level of empathy yeah amen amen that's the best part of it so Mm -hmm. very cool well, hey, Brian, got a question for you. You want to recommend a book or instructor that you think the our listeners should go out and seek? Just one? <laughs> That's a, <laughs> I, I am an avid reader. Um, so I have a, a, an emotional problem myself. It's called Rage to Master. Uh, so once I pick something up, I can't stop. Uh, it's probably a spectral issue uh, for it. So I have probably read everything out, but I'm going to recommend a book that I think would help most instructors that is often ignored. And it's Gary Klein's uh, work. We often know him in the uh, defense community because he came up with the recognition prime decision models. And his book is called Sources of Power. I would highly recommend it because it shows how the mind makes these decisions and what people tend to do and how we can generate the intuitive part of the mind to recognize patterns very quickly and make good enough decisions. Uh, Most people believe that they make a comparative analysis between two things and then move forward. And it's simply not true. Whatever the best first idea comes forward is what we implement. The more experience you have in that, the better you are at implementing it. And what I find a lot of instructors don't provide is actual repetitive experience in making that that decision of, all right, I'm going to shoot or I'm going to correct. Let's just say from an accuracy mode, uh, there's only three things that happen when I draw the gun. I either see everything I need to and I've moved kinesthetically there I want to, so I'm going to fire the shot, or it's not lined up like I want to, so I'm going to correct the shot, or something's changed and I'm going to stop the process. And Gary Klein's work is exceptionally good at this. Uh, It's on Audible, too, for you non-readers. I know some of you, it's hard to sit still. Uh, Kinesthetic guys, you like to move around, so turn the book on. You can listen in the background. You can take notes. I think that would really help your class. And on the other side of that, I'd also like to recommend The Art of Impossible by Stephen Kotler. Um, this is flow science. Uh, it is a new and emergent science that goes back to uh, uh, quite a bit in psychology, and it's a very enriching part of this, and it's a good place to start. If you look at his 
uh, places he cites people, you can just start reading all those books too. So there's two really good places to start. Uh, and both of them are on Audible too. So if you're not a good reader, just sit down and listen to it. And then there's a lot of good YouTube channels with this stuff on it now too. So just do a search for that. Very, very neat. Um, I can honestly say I don't, uh, there, nobody's uh, brought those up um, in previous podcasts. So those are uh, two, two new uh, books that I'm sure uh, people will, be, uh, will enjoy listening to or uh, reading um, as well as myself. I'm a little I different. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's where, that's where yeah. if you're going to be a good instructor, you got to, mm-hmm. you got to be very broad and you got to be mm-hmm. well-rounded in it. And that's mm-hmm. where, you know, knowing these things, knowing how the mind works, how the body works, um, you know, as well as how to market your classes is all the complete package in order to be able to go along and market yourself as well as going along and having a good clientele. So that's great. And they go together, right? You know, if you do the right thing and you say the right things and make progress, that's your legacy and it'll market itself. So mm-hmm. definitely. Well, where can people find more information about uh, Brian Hill? Well, it's really simple. Uh, my, as most successful instructors, uh, my wife is involved with the business. You've had her on the show, <laughs> Shelly. Mm-hmm. And uh, she is the light to my dark. And uh, she is she is wonderfully organized. I call her the indispensable organizational wizard. So our website is thecompletecombatant.com. Uh, we're all over social media. We have Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook. So you can find our pages under The Complete Combatant. I'm on Instagram as the chief chaos controller. That's a title Julie Golub gave to me. And I, I relish it. I think it's very cool. Um, so I post shooting information and stuff like that. And we have a YouTube channel that has over a thousand free videos on it. All right, because uh, my lifetime, I will never be able to, to to teach everything I want to. So we f- just simply put the videos out there, and if they can help you, please do so. And if it resonates with you, please come take a class. Our schedule's on there. Uh, we've scheduled 2022. We're moving into 2023. I'm going to be on the road everywhere. So please let me know, and I'll be glad to help you any way I can. That's super. Well, I hope uh, hope our listeners take advantage of that because I know I've used yeah. your YouTube uh, channel in the past. Very, very valuable information there, um, and they're they're not real long. They're short to the point, and get, yeah. gives you to you know get get you start thinking and uh, improving the, those uh, skills that you're talking about. So that's great. I'm glad it helped you. I'm glad. I'm glad you use it. Well, thanks, Brian, for your time today, and we'll talk to you later. It was awesome and a pleasure. Thank you. That's a wrap on this episode. Let's announce this week's prize giveaway. This week's winner received a commemorative 9-11 hat. Visit podcast.concealedcarry.com to enter in for the weekly prize giveaway. And remember, your entries do not carry over from week to week. Also, check out our website where you can search for various topics from setting up a simple accounting system, a website, or earning extra money through affiliate marketing, all at farmtrainerpodcast.com. If you have any ideas for new episodes, suggestions on guests to have, or feedback, please email me at ftp at concealedcarry.com. Check out the other concealedcarry.com podcasts, the original Concealed Carry podcast with Riley Bowman and Matthew Marister, and the Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast with Brian Eastrich. Also, check out our sponsors, especially the Fire Trainers Association at ftaprotect.com. Check out their instructor insurance. Being a responsible instructor means having insurance coverage. Remember, use promo code FTP10 for 10% off at checkout. We bring this podcast support to the industry, the Second Amendment, and most importantly, every firearm instructor in America that dedicates time and energy into making gun owners more knowledgeable. Stay safe, everyone, and have a happy new year.
Concealed Carry Inc. and ConcealedCarry.com strives to share helpful information and education about gun-related topics, training tips, and other things that may potentially have legal implications for its listeners. The information contained in this podcast is intended in good faith, but it is important to understand that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand laws that apply to them. Nothing in this podcast should be misconstrued as legal advice or counsel.